Indeed. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Can we say it again? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, he has. He's risen indeed. All right, we're going to be in the book of Mark. We're going to wrap up uh, about nine months that our church has been walking through the book of Mark. We will dive in. Um, talk to me for a minute. You know what one of the most common shapes of jewelry is today? One of the most common shapes of metal jewelry? A cross. That's right. Um, do you know if you were living in first century Roman Empire, how folks would view us wearing crosses around our necks and in our ears and that kind of stuff? It would be as if we were wearing electric chairs today or a firing squad. Isn't that crazy? Um, the cross in the first century was, was not a happy symbol. It was a political symbol. It was a symbol of power and not in a good way. The cross was a symbol of domination and death. And I'm not saying you should rip off your cross jewelry and throw it away, that kind of stuff. In fact, today, for some people, we wear cross jewelry because it reminds us of the life that we have because of Jesus' death, right? And yet, we all know this, there's other folks who wear cross jewelry that doesn't really have a meaning at all. It's just a shape. I like the shape. It had a nice, you know, glimmer to it or whatever. It just looked nice. There's other folks who wear crosses kind of like a lucky charm like a talisman, like, like a little bit of a, a way to protect or, or, or associate with something bigger than ourselves. The, the point is that, that, that like so many other areas of life, t- people have different perspectives on what it means to wear a cross. And those perspectives are informed by what we think, and they inform what we think, and they're informed by our worldview, and they inform the world around us and how we see it. I don't have to convince you, people also have a lot of different views and perspectives when it comes to Jesus. Is that true? Some people look at Jesus and say, he is the center of our lives. Everything else is wrapped around him. Other people look at Jesus kind of only when it's convenient, when, when they're at the end of their rope and they have nothing else to cling on to. And that way, Jesus is like, kind of like a lucky charm. We just kind of go to him as needed. Uh, many people who don't follow Jesus look, look at him and go, he, he must have been crazy, and everyone who follows him is crazy too. He's kind of a fictitious superhero, and on and on and on and on. And so the question today is, what do you think about Jesus? What's your perspective of Jesus? Because again, there's lots of different perspectives. But guess what? That's not a new fact. Sarah just read from some of the the last verses of the book of Mark. The book of Mark, if you're unfamiliar, is is one record of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the Bible. There's four of them. And you know what many of Mark's final words record? They record different people's different perspectives about Jesus. Because just like today, even as Jesus was being killed, people had different perspectives of what was going on. And I want to say this, whatever your perspective is on Jesus, I hope you hear today his death and his resurrection offers good news specifically for your exact need, your exact questions, your exact arguments, your exact perspective on Jesus. And so today, we're going to look at a few different people that Mark mentions in his book, and I want you to ask yourself, who do you resonate most with? Maybe who who do your neighbors and friends resonate most with, and how is Jesus good news for your particular perspective? How's Jesus good news to you? Okay, so Father, would you meet us in this place? Spirit, would you be our teacher as we look at our dead and risen son today? It's in your son's name. Amen. 
If you're unaware of kind of the backstory leading to Jesus' death and resurrection, and it's okay if you are, uh, Christians, like our Jewish cousins before us, believe that there's one God, and that one God created all things and sustains all things and governs all things. And kids, if you've been in the room, that sounds a lot like our birthday blessing. We do our birthday blessing. Uh, Easter's about rebirth, and so kiddos, grown-ups, you can join us in this, but let's say this together. You repeat after me. We say a lot, God made us. God knows us. God leads us. And God loves us. That's part of what followers of Jesus believe. And in Genesis 1 and 2, the very beginning of the Bible, all things that God created were perfect. And all creation worshipped God, and all created things were right and perfect. Right and perfect. They were different, but unified. And that lasted for a good page and a half of your Bibles until sin came in and ruined everything in Genesis 3. Whatever you believe, though, I don't think I have to convince you of the brokenness and pain that is all around us in the world. And if we're really, really honest, I also don't think I have to convince you that there's no way that you can make yourself perfect and right again. We were created perfect and right. We're not perfect and right. And some of us have tried a lot of things and we can't be perfect and right. And so into history came this man born in a manger, Jesus of Nazareth. And through his life, he healed the sick and he forgave sins and he brought in new teaching. And some folks started to wonder, is this the Messiah who can make things perfect and right? Is this the Savior? And to be a Christian, for the record, is to say, yes, we believe that to be true. But others then and today said no. Leaders at the time had Jesus arrested and sentenced to die, and that's where we pick up the story. And that's where we see at Jesus' death different perspectives on Jesus. Here's the first. It's going to be on the screen. The first thing that people did is mocked Jesus. The soldiers, Mark tells us in chapter 15 of his gospel, led Jesus away inside the palace, that's, in, that's inside Pilate's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they, I'm going to elaborate here, jammed it into his skull. And they began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews, sarcastically. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in fake homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. Who is it that Mark says was mocking Jesus? The soldiers. They were jeering at him. They were hurting him. They were harming him. Mark tells us in the next couple paragraphs that it's not just soldiers, it was religious leaders who were mocking Jesus, and the crowds mocking Jesus, and, and even the thieves on the cross, as Sarah read, who were being killed with him, were mocking Jesus. By sheer number of people in Mark 15, mockery is the number one perspective on Jesus. And the, pers- the specific phrase that all these folks were using to mock Jesus was prophetic and poignant. What was the phrase that they used? There's six times in Mark 15, he says, you're the king of the Jews. Now, did they really believe he was the king of the Jews? No, it's the mocking phrase. But here's the deal. People today still mock Jesus. And, and perhaps by the sheer number of people in the world, that still might be the primary perspective on Jesus. 
His views on on different things are too narrow. No human could ever claim to be God, and so on and so forth. People also, though, give ourselves to different kings, put ourselves under different rulers. So we might not say you're king of the Jews, but but everyone has someone or something in their life that you say, this, this, you are my king. You, You are the thing to whom my primary allegiance belongs to. You shape my identity. Is that fair? Even followers of Jesus. If you say you follow Jesus, but people or politics or power or possessions hold your true allegiance and shape your worldview more than Jesus does, y'all, we still mock Jesus. But at Jesus' death, at least one guard One who was mocking him realized the truth of that mocking statement. In verse 39 on the next slide, Mark tells us, when when a centurion, when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, can we say this? Truly this man was the son of God. More than just being king of the Jews, this Roman centurion who was not a Jew said, this is the king of God of the world. In, in the Roman Empire, this was a treasonous statement. Who was the king in the Roman Empire? There's only one, Caesar. Caesar was known as the son of God. Everyone's allegiance was only allowed to be to Caesar or bad things happened to you. But there was something in Jesus's death and something in his cry aloud to his father that impacted this centurion so deeply that he put aside his allegiance and risked treason and went from mocking Jesus to seeing who Jesus truly was. And his allegiance shifted. And in Christ, he found a better king. And I want to ask, whatever it is that your allegiance belongs to, could that same shift be true of you? In the next verse, we see a second perspective on Jesus, and it's from this man named Simon. So verse 21 will be on the screen, Mark 15, 21. They compelled, these are crowds, uh, the guards compelled a passerby named Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. They compelled this Simon to carry Jesus's cross. Compelled this Simon to carry Jesus's cross. Here's the deal. It's very likely that Simon had no idea who Jesus was. We don't know anything else about Simon. He's from what is now called Libya. He was just in Jerusalem for this holiday, for this big Passover celebration. And so like Simon, perhaps your perspective on Jesus is you're kind of unaware of him. There's lots of kids in the room. And one thing I love about our church family is that kids have a growing awareness of who Jesus is. But like all of us, none of us are fully aware of who Jesus is. Maybe we're unaware of Jesus, or, or maybe we've heard of him, but we're kind of indifferent toward him. Or maybe you, you grew up in Fort Worth or a similar culture, and just the idea that someone today hasn't heard of Jesus might be a foreign concept to you, but I want to tell you, in much of the world, Jesus is still very much unknown, and much of the world is moving to our city. But Jesus was weak from being beaten and mocked, Simon was randomly chosen out of the crowd to carry this heavy crossbeam because Jesus was too weak to carry his own cross. And Simon's one-verse story could have ended here, 
But Mark gives us one little detail in this verse that we can't miss. One of Simon's sons is named Rufus. It's a great name for the record, Rufus. Rufus is seen later in the New Testament as a leader in the Roman church. And so tradition says that something in this experience changed Simon's life and his family, and they became some of the earliest followers of Jesus, some of the earliest Christians. So again, this chance encounter, being randomly picked out of a crowd, changed Simon, changed his family, and he went from being unaware and different to following and serving Jesus, both literally by carrying his cross and for the rest of his life, tradition says. In Jesus, Simon found a good Lord who was worth serving. Whoever or whatever it is you serve, could that same shift be true of you? And then with Simon's help, Jesus arrived at the place of his crucifixion. See Mark, 30, uh, Mark 15, 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today we'd use the word abandoned. Why have you abandoned me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink and said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. They offered him wine to relieve his pain. Twice, Jesus didn't accept it. Because you need to hear, Jesus felt the full weight of punishment for our sin. And Jesus felt the full weight of God's abandonment for you. Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. There's a complex history here, but the bottom line is that they were looking at Jesus saying, Jesus can't save himself. Maybe Elijah will return and save Jesus. And that's the third perspective we see on Jesus. Like many people throughout history, these bystanders at the cross misunderstood who Jesus was. They didn't grasp the fullness of why he came. If Jesus can't save himself, if he couldn't save himself, how could he possibly be God, they were saying. But here's the reality If Jesus did save himself, he would not have fulfilled his mission to save the world. Is that fair? If Jesus had saved himself, he wouldn't have saved the world. They didn't understand what they were seeing. I get to work with a lot of folks in ministry who are ministering with with, uh, high school and college students and those below, and we were having a conversation a few weeks ago and just said, "What, what do your peers, high school, college students, what do those you're ministering to see when they see Jesus? And among a lot of the replies was some theme of, he's a good spiritual guide. He's, he, he's a wise teacher, but he's one among many. And so you can kind of take what teachings you like from Jesus and, and leave the teachings you don't like. That's not who Jesus claims to be. That's not what he came to do. Because on one hand, in this scene, you have people misunderstanding Jesus, think he's, thinking he's unable to save himself. And at the same time, as Jesus is dying, on the other hand, you see this temple curtain tearing. And if you're unaware, this curtain was the barrier between man and God. 
For thousands of years, only a high priest could enter the temple room where God's presence was said to dwell. And then only once a year and after this long purification ritual. The curtain ripped at Jesus' death because Jesus purified all of us of our sin. Jesus' death is the only way that anyone and everyone can freely enter the presence of God. It ripped from the top to the bottom. This is an act of God alone. And, And remember, since Genesis 3, all of humanity has been trying to find a way to be right and perfect again. In other words, whether we use this term or not, all of humanity has been trying to get back to God. But sin separated us. And so Jesus' death conquered sin and saved us. Hear me, whether these bystanders ever discovered this or not, Mark's invitation to us is to see that in Jesus, you are made pure. There is a way, there is a way for you to be right and perfect again. Jesus offers a way back to God. Do you believe that? Could that be true for you? And on we go. After Jesus breathed his last, we meet a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He's a fourth perspective on Jesus, Mark 15, 43. He was a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. And he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And when Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted his corpse to Joseph. Here's the deal. We might call Joseph today a seeker or a skeptic. Joseph's a leader in another religion, and yet he's digging into the claims of his religion and going, do I believe this to be true? There's a lot of talk of people deconstructing their faith today in a very real way. Joseph was deconstructing his faith, but he was doing so, and I want to encourage you with this. If this is you, he's doing so in a way that seeks truth and seeks a savior, isn't trying to disprove truth. If this is you, are you trying to, to deconstruct or seek, or are you a skeptic in a sense you're trying to, to move toward or, or actively move away? Because Joseph's a Jewish leader. He knew the Old Testament messianic prophecies. You know what Joseph saw in Jesus' death? He saw messianic prophecy after messianic prophecy after messianic prophecy fulfilled. Mark records 14 messianic prophecies, prophecies of the coming Messiah, the Savior, in just Mark 15 alone. Jesus fulfilled some 300 messianic prophecies throughout his life. And Joseph, as a good, devout, skeptic, and seeker seeking the kingdom of God, knew this is the one. This is the Messiah. He found the Savior he was seeking. As you are seeking, is this true of you? And then there's this final perspective on Jesus. And Mark intentionally attributes the most positive view of Jesus to one of the most rejected populations of the time. Here's what he says in verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came with him to Jerusalem. 
What's this last perspective of Jesus? These women worshipped him. They were devoted to him. And like these initial few women, there were many people, there are many people, both then and now, both here and across the world, who would say, I'm worshiping Jesus. I'm devoted to Jesus. But I want to remind us that through the scriptures, worship and devotion is more than an action. It's more than attending church once a week. It's about our heart. It's, it's true then, it's true now. True worship and devotion is about sacrifice and giving our whole self for something or someone. And so we ask, what, what is it that you worship? What would you give yourself to? What would you give your whole self for? Is Jesus your primary priority? Because that's what we see in these women. Is that true for you? But hear me, because of their worship and devotion, in the face of all these other perspectives, these women were blessed to be the first to hear the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Sarah read this, but I'm going to read it again. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Again, expensive devotion, willing to give everything for Jesus. But they got to the grave, and the angel said to the women, Do not be alarmed. You see that Jesus of Nazareth, you seek, excuse me, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Even their, their journey to the tomb at daybreak on Sunday was an act of worship and devotion, and they were blessed as they arrived. Here's the point. There's five different people or groups. There's five different perspectives on Jesus. There's probably more. But, and we've said this before, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark's the shortest account that we have of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And this is important to bring out because even as Mark was trying to write as briefly as he could, y'all, he went to great lengths to drop a few people in for a verse or two at a time to show these varied people. And there were lots of different perspectives on Jesus's death. Mark could have skipped right over it in in his attempt for brevity, but, but instead he wanted us to see some people mocked Jesus and some were indifferent or unaware of Jesus. And some misunderstood him and some were skeptical or seekers. Some were worshipful and devoted. But all of them, hear me, experienced some change by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That was true for everyone we just very briefly saw, and that's been true for everyone who encounters Jesus through history, and that's still true today. Because here's what I need you to hear this Easter Sunday, and it'll be on the screen. Whoever you are, and whichever of those perspectives you resonate most with, which one of those best describes you, or some mix of those describes you, whoever you are, Jesus died for you. Whoever you are, whatever perspective on Jesus most resonates with you, you are part of that broken creation, and you can't make yourself right and perfect. You know because you've tried. We've all tried. You need a Messiah, a King, a Lord, a Savior, 
a God because every human on earth, whether they say this or know it or not, needs a Messiah, a King, a Lord, a Savior, a God. But there's more. Jesus didn't just die for you. God also raised him for you. Not only did Jesus defeat your sin and all evil in his death, in his resurrection, God defeated death itself. Mark originally ended with an angel proclaiming the news that's even better than Jesus' death to these women at the tomb. Hear me, Jesus' death and resurrection meets you in your exact need, fear, question, argument, and whatever your perspective is on Jesus, he meets you there. There's study after study that just shows that that people in, in our country are turning more and more toward money and work and politicizing everything and having less interactions with people and spending more time online. And all of these studies show, and you've experienced this, that leads us Nowhere but sadness and stress and depression and anxiety. Are you experiencing any of that today? Jesus' death and resurrection meets you in that sadness and stress and depression and anxiety. If you're weighed down by the past, Jesus' death and resurrection meets you in your guilt and shame. And if you're terrified of the future, Jesus meets you in your worry and anxiety. Jesus invites you to a truer and fuller life. And the resurrection life of Jesus lasts for eternity, and that's what a lot of Christians talk about. But the resurrection life starts today. That's what we see in these verses. Jesus is the king of the Jews and the king of the world, not just for eternity, but, but, but you can put your trust in his power and his goodness today. Jesus is is the one true Lord. He's better than any other Lord that you try to serve who lets you down. He's the best Lord to obey and follow forever, but also today. In Jesus alone, you can be right and perfect. And his invitation is just to stop striving. Stop trying to do it on your own. You can rest and come home and re-enter your right relationship with God. And Jesus is the Messiah that God's people sought for thousands of years, but he's also your Savior forever and today. Kids, have you guys seen bunnies this week? Or eggs or chickens or flowers? Have you seen any of this around Easter? No. Well, that ruined my point then. Okay. Any other kids? You got some Easter eggs. Thank you. Mm. (laughs) Did anybody get a basket or a gift on Easter like you do for your birthday? Yes, there we go. That's because Easter celebrates rebirth. It's new life. Yes, for eternity, but also for today. Y'all, this is the good news of Easter. In Jesus, there is joy for the joyless and hope for the hopeless and freedom for those who are weighed down by guilt and sin and value for those who feel rejected and companionship for the lonely and worth for those who feel worthless and on and on and on and on. And that is for eternity, but it's also for today. In a little bit, we're going to sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, 
Life is worth the living just because he lives. Easter is good news for today. So, so I'll close with this. The cross that some of us wear may be a symbol of death, but the empty tomb is a promise of new and full life. And whoever you are and whatever perspective on Jesus you hold, Jesus' death was for you and his resurrection was for you. And that is the good news of Easter. And that matters both forever, every day of eternity, and it also matters every day of your life today. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for being more than we could ever view you as. Thank you for sending your son, doing more than we could ever possibly explain or know. Father, I pray that whatever our different perspectives are today, you would remind us that even as we try to explain them, you're so much greater than all of them put together. Thank you for your perfect life, Jesus, your model and example that we can never attain except by the power of your spirit. Thank you for your sacrificial death in which we can rest assured by your broken body and shed blood that we can come home. Thank you for your resurrection and the life that you promise us for eternity, but also the life that we get to have in you today. And thank you for your current and coming reign as our King, God. Would you put away all other gods, all other kings, all other false messiahs? On this Easter day and every day, would you remind us of the good news of your resurrection? And we say together, amen. All right, we're going to stand and sing. If you have questions or Anything you want to pray through, talk through, I'll be standing in the back. All right, so Easter doesn't end when you walk out these doors. Easter is the reminder of what is true every single day. And so in a minute, we're going to say that uh, together. This is the core of what followers of Jesus believe. We don't have a dead king. We don't have a dead God. Because he lives, all these things are true. So as you go, take more coffee, take muffins, take all the things. But hear this, the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And by the same God of peace who raised to life the great shepherd of the sheep, make us ready to do his will in every good thing through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Say this with me. Alleluia. Amen. Happy Easter, friends.